Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. What's up, guys, and welcome to episode seven of the Spider Scoop podcast. Today, uh, Austin and I are joined by Matt from the Three Bid League podcast. Uh, you can follow him at Three Bid League Pod on Twitter. Um, he comes on to help us prep uh, Brooklyn coming up this week. We got the A10 tournament coming up, um, and then after that, Austin and I, you know, ramble on as we do for about 30, 40 minutes uh, talking about the spiders. A really good episode. Uh, Richmond finally secured that two seed in the A10 for the first time ever. Um, they got the double buy um, bracket actually set up for them pretty well scheduling wise. So going to be a really exciting week. Um, NCAA tournament hopes are still out there, obviously, you know, really good chance to make the tournament if they can do some damage. Um, so we're going to talk about all that coming up. And so we're going to do the Matt interview uh, in the first half, and then we'll have me and Austin chopping up in the back half. So make sure you stay tuned for both. And we hope you enjoy. Matt, welcome to the episode seven of the Spider Scoop of the Three Bid League podcast. You and Tyler hosting that over there, doing a great job. Had me on back uh, back in the wintertime, loved doing it. What are we thinking, man? Regular season's over. We're on to Brooklyn. How are we feeling? Yeah, man, it's been a really fun season. Definitely for Tyler and I covering the A-10 this year, that's just been more fun because I think the conference has just been a lot more competitive this year. We have a lot more good teams. And yeah, just ready to go. I mean, Dayton's obviously a pretty big favorite, but I think there's some other teams here in Brooklyn that could sneak up on the Flyers, and it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, so I mean, I think Dayton, obviously, like you said, is the clear favorite. I mean, it's the number three team in the country. They were just on College Game Day, which also, can we just mention how funny it is that College Game Day was on an ESPN Plus Dayton-George Washington <laughs> matchup, and at the same time, it was still probably one of the most electric College Game Days they've had in a while. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Um, I got there with one of my friends at about 8 in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's like 30 degrees outside, so we had to stand outside waiting for a couple of hours in the cold. But once we got inside, it was just an electric atmosphere. And it was also a lot of fun, too, because since the women's tournament's going on at UD Arena, they actually okay. had to move game day to the Ferrick Center, which is where Dayton plays volleyball. But that actually made it better, I think, because we were able to pack in a ton of people into a smaller gym. And I think that just made for a great atmosphere. So, so much fun, though. So what did you think of the rose ceremony? I want to know. <laughs> yeah, my friend and I were talking about that. That was a, a I, I thought it was creepy. a cool segment. <laughs> it was cool. Like, I, I I get what they were going for. Yeah. What I was hoping, I don't know why they didn't have Xavier as one of the bubble teams, because, you know, that would have gotten a big reaction from oh, the Dayton fans there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already, we booed Indiana. I'm sorry to say Man, I felt bad. We all booed Richmond when oh, yeah. <laughs> they walked out. I was the one person that I gave a little cheer. I mean, I, I'm rooting for you guys. I, I, it's good for the A10. It's good for business. Fan of the league. Yeah, I think yep. I thought I thought the I thought the segment idea was creative. I thought the execution definitely was on the a uh, little bit of the creepy side. Seeing Seth yeah. Greenberg sitting there eye to eye talking to him about a a 20 year old uh, cheerleader. I don't know how comfortable she probably felt, but. <laughs> Either way, I was a little disappointed to not see Richmond get the rose, but hey, we've all been denied before, man. It happens to the best man, of us. Man, I know. That was disappointing, but hey, still a week to go, and you guys still have a chance to make some noise and get yourselves in the field. Hey, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. So yep. <laughs> that, the reason that you know we're even talking about that is because at the end of the day, it is bubble talk time. It is at large time, and there's still a lot of basketball left to be played. We've obviously got to go to the Barclays Center. But where Richmond's at right now, uh, I think a lot of fans are, I, I, me as well, are probably kind of frustrated because I think that we've just been sitting on that first four out for about a couple, probably a good week now, maybe a couple weeks. You know, we go in and Duquesne, Ken Palm had that as a 50%, basically a toss-up game, one point. Go in there and pretty much control it, little back and forth, and then, you know, they kind of break it away down the stretch there, 11-point win. I think a lot of Spider fans, you know, they sit there and they say, well, hey, we're a good team. We've got the resume for it. Davidson's now a quad one win. 
we've beaten a variety of teams. Duquesne is a physical team, obviously, with Hughes and Weathers. So it's not, and we've beat Rhode Island. So, you know, it's not just like we're beating, you know, small shooting teams. We can win in a variety of ways. So you look at it and say, you know, what does this team need to do in Brooklyn to get to the NCAA tournament? So I think, you know, we looked at it back in January when I came on your guys' show and, you know, we were thinking, we're like, all right, you know, maybe 14 wins, which they achieved and probably mm-hmm. make the semifinals. Don't even really need to win it. Cause I think the league also looked a lot stronger then, you know, obviously VCU's kind of tumbled since Davidson's got a little better, has made that comeback. So what do you think they need to do in Brooklyn to go dancing? Yeah, I agree. It has been kind of frustrating because right now Richmond's all the way up to 37th in the net rankings, which is probably one of the highest out of teams that aren't currently in the field, according to most bracketologists. Mm-hmm. I really, I agree. I mean, I thought going back when we talked in January, I thought 14 and 4 would be good enough. If you look back ever since the A10 went to the 18 game conference schedule, 14 wins has pretty much been the bar. Two, I think the only two exceptions were the 2016 St. Bonaventure team that was the first team out. But that, that Bonnie's team had a couple really bad losses. That Richmond has the Radford game, but that's about it. Mm. And then last year, Davidson, but that was a, just a tremendously weak A-10. So I think those are kind of exceptions. Mm. I, I do think based on where we stand now with Richmond still kind of right on that cut line, I think they need to at least win one game in mm. Brooklyn. If they lose the first game, whether it's against Davidson or somebody else, that could that could be pretty troubling. I think if you guys make it to the championship, I would hope that's good enough. But, mm-hmm. you know, we really won't find out. I mean, it, it all just depends, I think, how much respect the selection committee gives the Atlantic 10 this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't – I mean, Andrew Wallace was going off on Twitter about this, and I kind of agree mm-hmm. with him. I mean, I don't understand, you know – the Big Ten is getting, like, what is it? I think the top eight seeds they've got in the top 25. Yeah. They're giving them a ridiculous, like, 10 bids or something like that. And, I mean, you just look at that league, and it's, you know, I mean, it's pretty simple. Richmond beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin's the best team in the best conference. You know, I don't understand mm-hmm. what the math is there. And I saw some people arguing on Twitter, well, you know, that doesn't go into the committee. That's not part of the thought process. But I'm like, you know, that's kind of the point of a committee. It's that if we were just going to go based off of net and quad one wins, you know, it would just be a formula. There's a reason there's a committee with judgment. Um, and all those factors, my opinion, should play into it. Um, so looking at the A-10 tournament now, we're looking at matchups. We had obviously the play-in for that double bye uh, the other night, with Saint, or last night, St. Bonaventure and St. Louis. So when I look at this tournament, I think that the way the bracketing worked out for Richmond worked really well because I feel pretty good about going back against Rhode Island again if that is a potential matchup. Like we said, Davidson LaSalle is going to be their first game. And St. Bonaventure, St. Louis, we they can't run into either of those teams until Sunday, and it's probably pretty unlikely they get through Dayton. So when you look at this bracket, what matchups would you fear the most for Richmond if it's not St. Louis or St. Bonaventure, and how do you think it worked out for them? Yeah, I agree. I, I think the bracket did work out pretty well for the Spiders. I think St. Louis, that would be a tough matchup. The Billikens already played a great game in the Robin Center early in the conference season. Obviously, Dayton is a tough matchup for anybody, but Richmond wouldn't meet them until the finals. One other team I looked at as a potentially difficult matchup, although it's kind of tough to say that based on their season's trajectory, but I think VCU just because they're one of the few teams that really forced Richmond to turn the ball over a lot Mm -hmm. in both of their meetings. And that's something normally Richmond doesn't have any problems with. They do a great job of controlling the basketball. I think that maybe could have been a tough one, but VCU's the nine seed, so they're they're playing UMass first, and then they'd have to get through Dayton, so that matchup's mm-hmm. unlikely. But overall, yeah, I think the bracket sets up pretty well for Richmond. I think if they end up playing Davidson, which is pretty likely, I'd expect them to beat LaSalle. Mm-hmm. That's a game that Richmond's already won twice this season. So, yeah, I, I think that Richmond, if they play well, if they play to their strengths... They should be in pretty good shape on their side of the bracket. Mm. And how do you like VCU in terms of a sleeper? Because I think a lot of pe- I think everyone's that's going to be kind of their go-to because they're just like, oh, you know, it's VCU. They turn it on, they get healthy. Um, you know, is is there what chance is there that they don't even win a game in Brooklyn? In your opinion? Yeah, it's tough. I don't think anybody could have seen this coming for VCU. I still think the talent's still there. I mean, if Marcus Evans, I know he came back against Davidson off the bench in their last game. If he's healthy and playing at his peak where he was last year this time, you never know. I mean, he's he's the type of guy that can really spark them. 
I just feel like at this point, VCU, I don't want to say they've given up on their season because I, I don't think they have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, missing Dariante Jenkins hurts them quite a bit. Yep. And they're just, right now they're running out a pretty experienced team. I know their freshmen are starting to get a lot more minutes. So I could definitely see them beating UMass, and they're probably going to be the favorite in that game, even though they are the lower seed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really see them getting past Dayton just because I, I think I just don't think they're going to have enough offense to keep up in that game. Mm. So do you think there is anyone that can get through Dayton in this tournament? Yeah, I definitely think it's St. Louis. Mm. And for a, cu- a couple weeks ago, I was scared because it looked like St. Louis might be the eight seed, which I think that would have been an absolute nightmare scenario for Dayton. I mean, this is a team, by the way, it, Dayton's been a moderately successful team the last couple of years. And then obviously this season, everything just took off. But Dayton hasn't won an A-10 tournament game in three years. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason a lot of Fire fans, including myself, are nervous about this. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a potential St. Louis matchup in the semifinals. We've already seen the Billikens take Dayton down to the wire twice this season. And they really should have won the first game mm-hmm. until Jalen Crutcher made that three at the buzzer in overtime. But with St. Louis's offensive rebounding and physicality, that's definitely a game where Dayton's going to have to show up. The Billikens are also another team that they're playing really well this time of year. They're starting to even get on the bubble, which I don't mm-hmm. think they can make it as an at-large. But, yeah, the Billikens are playing tough right now, and I think they match up pretty well with Dayton. Yeah, I think the only, like you said, I think the only way the Billikens get an at-large bid is basically by getting an auto bid. They pretty much have to win the championship to get that kind of resume. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'd agree. So I, I'm going to kind of kind of throw you, not under the bus, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Um, this is this goes out to SB Unfurled, kind of inspired me with their last podcast on this question. Um, so we just obviously had Super Tuesday this week, and they did some mm-hmm. funny bits with that. So I wanted to ask you, and I have a, definitely have a specific answer in mind that I know I would say. So when we look at the Democratic primary right now, we've got Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. If you were going to pick two Atlantic 10 coaches to represent those two, in a debate, who is each representative in each each candidate? Man, that would be tough. I don't know if I'd give you as good as an answer as those guys. <laughs> I don't think I know they're can. kind of locked in. Don't they want Mark Schmidt to represent Bernie? Don't they? Although they want him to represent anyone he can represent in any field of right. any capacity of any line of work. Man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I'm not a not a huge politics guy, so that is, <laughs> that is putting me on the spot, but. I guess I give them Mark Schmidt since they've been kind of the ones piloting this movement. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd have to think about who would represent Joe Biden. I guess. I think for me that answer, I felt like it was Bob McKillop. I yeah, feel like I was he's, kind of thinking him too. I mean, he's the oldest coach in the conference, at least. He's the oldest coach. He's been consistent. He's just had the long time success. He's got the the brilliant white hair, like super yeah. calm demeanor about him. Like I think, I mean. <laughs> I think it's right up his alley for sure. Yeah, I could I could buy that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I could also could also see Chris Mooney in the mix there. Like I could see him as like one of those kind of like a Tom Stair type guy, like kind of tall. <laughs> like he's like I'm here, I'm loud, I have money, but I haven't done much the past couple of years. What's going on? What's happening? Um, yep, that's yep. how I would see it for sure. Um, yeah, no, for yeah. sure. So Austin, you got any? Yeah. So um, looking at the tournament, obviously coming up this week. <laughs> We've talked about how Dayton is the favorite. If Richmond and Dayton meet in Sunday, what do we think that game has to be? Does it have to be super competitive, or would Richmond getting to Sunday just be enough? I would think Richmond getting to Sunday would be enough. I mean, that would put them at 26 wins, which, considering they also have a win over Wisconsin, I feel like that would have to be enough. Yeah. I don't know how much, I mean, with that game taking place on Selection Sunday, or that potential game taking place on Selection Sunday, I don't know how much the score would actually matter, and I I don't really know how much they consider those last-minute results. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Obviously, if Richmond did beat Dayton, I think that could bump them up as high as maybe an 8 or a 9 seed because that would really bump up their metrics. Mm -hmm. But no, I don't think... If Richmond made it to the championship, I feel like that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. What do you think the chances are this year that the A10 bid thief streak ends? 
or that that it that it continues because I think you know it's obviously been going on for a few years, but pretty much everyone's fairly confident Dayton can run this. Do you see any scenario mm-hmm. where I don't know for whatever reason maybe in the quarterfinals you know Jalen Crutcher tweaks a hamstring and they want to be super cautious? Maybe they rest him, drop in the semis. Do you see a potential bid thief this year? I think if we get a bid thief, it would be St. Louis, mm. just because I think, especially on that side of the bracket, and I think within the entire conference, St. Louis is the team that can beat Dayton, mm. just with their offensive rebounding and their ability to stop Dayton at the rim. Other than that, I mean, I guess and I'm, I'm kind of assuming Richmond mm. can make the field if they win at least a game in Brooklyn. Mm. You know, Rhode Island, for a lot of the season, they looked like the second-best team in the conference, and they sort of fell off the last few weeks, and at this point, I kind of think they need to win the A-10 tournament to get a bid. Mm -hmm. But they have a lot of talent. I really think Fats Russell would just need to go off Mm -hmm. for three games in a row because the, the Rams really live and die with Fats. But if he just goes crazy for the weekend, that's a team that maybe they could get hot, but... I definitely think it's going to be tough to get a bid thief this year, just with Dayton being so dominant. But you never know, because last year VCU, even though they weren't as good, they were kind of the runaway favorites, too, and we all know how that went for them. Mm-hmm. And overall, too, the A-10 hasn't, or the the one seed in the Atlantic 10 tournament hasn't won since 2013. So, mm-hmm. you know, this tournament, even with Dayton being elite this year, it's always pretty wide open. And I know Ken Palm only gives Dayton about a 56% chance to win. Mm. So still, I mean, that's a, a lot of other possibilities. Yeah. So I'd say it's unlikely, but we could definitely get a bid thief this year, especially I think St. Louis is the best chance. Yeah. And you never know. Cause I mean, like, you know, teams do play very differently in these neutral site courts very often. Like mm-hmm. we certainly saw with Richmond, like we've talked about before, you know, obviously last year in the Barclays center, they shot pretty bad. They've had their issues outside the Robin Center this year. I mean, when they beat Wisconsin, they only scored 62, and I think they were below 30% yeah. from three in that game. So, And that doesn't mean they can't win. You know, we've seen them go out and have defensive battles. They had that, was that George Mason win when they won, like, 65-50 to 50 or something like that. So yeah. it doesn't mean they certainly can't do it, whereas I think last year that's a game where they don't see the rims well in the Barclays and they probably lose. This year they find other ways, but you never know. Teams get out of their comfort zone. You know, things can switch up. A team like Dayton, obviously, is probably less likely because, you know, Maui Invitational, they have no trouble with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would certainly say. <clears throat> yeah, I, I do think that is something, though, that helps Richmond. At the beginning of the season, I really didn't see them as a team that could win games with their defense. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, I mean, in conference play especially, their defense has gotten so much better. Yeah, And you never know if there is a game like the Wisconsin game where they're not hitting threes. I think the Spiders are good enough defensively where they might be able to survive one of those games, yeah. at least much better than they would have been able to back in November when they weren't playing as well on defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that all comes down to Grant Goldman and Blake Francis with those two have done defensively. Not that other guys mm-hmm. haven't improved, but I think that having those two, just having Grant solidify the inside has just been huge for them. And especially like, you know, we've talked about, it's been on Twitter and stuff, but just like the rest he's had and the energy that they've had and, I think that also goes to Blake because he just brought this incredible spark of energy. You see him on the floor, and this kid's there on the broadcast talking about his chest pad that he's got on. And I mean, he's yep. he's got to lead them in charges drawn. I mean, he's drawing mm-hmm. charges against everyone left and right. So I've been really impressed with what he's done. Um, another guy I want to talk about is Nick Sherrod. I think you guys tweeted out that great stat of in mm-hmm. losses this year. I want to say what what is he shooting about thirty percent from deep and like forty seven percent when they win. Um, that guy's just had such an on and off switch. He's been such an X factor for them. Do you think, is there any chance that this team can even get to the Sunday game if he's not playing his best? Yeah, that would be tough. I mean, I was surprised to see he's actually the number one three point shooter in conference play this year. At least he was last week. I think he still is. Is he ahead of Kellen? But I think so. But um, yeah, Nick Sherrod, man, when he's hitting threes, that just opens up Richmond's offense so much because then that's three guys you have to worry about on the perimeter that can knock down shots out of mm. the starting lineup. And I just think that's huge. I mean, that that's what makes it so tough to guard Richmond, really. In general, they have five good offensive players on the court just mm. about all the time. Because I'd throw Nathan K.O. in there, too. I think even though he's not a shooter, he's a guy that can get to the rim. Mm-hmm. And that goes for Sherrod, too. When he's hitting, too, you can't give any one player on Richmond too much attention on defense because as soon as you double-team someone, 
you'll get Grant Golden or whoever else making a pass to someone cutting to the basket, and guys can just get left wide open. So if Nick Sherrod's hitting threes, that's huge because you can't leave him open. He's kind of a streaky guy, I think. And I know, I think you guys were talking about how when he hits his first shot of the game, it seems like things start to go better. Yep. And yeah, I think he's going to be huge because he's not really the guy you think of on Richmond as a go-to guy, and he's sort of that third or fourth option sometimes. Mm-hmm. But when your third or fourth option is hitting that many shots, all of a sudden that, that makes you so much tougher to guard. Yeah, this it reminds me a lot of the Celtics makeup, kind of that starting lineup where it's like, yeah, you've got a lot of like good glue roll guys along the bench, but no, like, you know, they don't have really any great bench scorers per se. Um, mm-hmm. But you just look at that starting five across and it's just like pick one guy that can't get you a bucket at any time. And they do it in different ways, but at the end of the day, they just spread the floor. So we look at going down into next year now. You know, we've talked a lot about the tournament, a little bit of bubble watch at large talk. But heading into next year, this is one of the few teams that returns their entire team back. Obviously, they're getting transfer Connor Crabtree, Isaiah Wilson, Andre Weir, a couple of freshmen coming in. Do you look at this team as the favorites in the Atlantic 10 going into next season? Yeah, I definitely think they have a chance. I would say right now on paper, Richmond and St. Louis are the two teams that I look at as being next year's favorites because they both return just about everybody. Mm. I guess the one thing, though, and you just never know, returning everybody doesn't always mean you're going to be better. Just look at VCU this year and George Mason last year. It doesn't always work out. But I do think with Richmond, they should be one of the favorites heading into next year. Just with all five of their starters, they know the offense. And I feel Mm. like with Chris Mooney and his Princeton offense, that's got to be kind of complicated for these young guys to learn. So Mm. I feel like with all of these players used to the system, that's got to be a big advantage. Mm. And overall, yeah, I mean, I think Richmond, especially if they're able to build some momentum at the end of this season and make the tournament, that should give them a lot of confidence heading into 2021. So we'll see. But there's also, there's a lot of teams in the A-10 too that Mm. are bringing back just about everybody. I mean, I look at Duquesne, they only have one senior even George Mason, they're not very good, but I think if they get Justin Kyer back, that could be everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Bonaventure brings just about the entire team. And then UMass, too, might be a sleeper because they only have one senior, and they're loaded up with freshmen right yeah. now. So while Richmond, I think they're probably going to return the most talent, there's a lot of teams that could make big jumps next year. So it's going to be tough to see. But, yeah, I think if I had to make a guess, I'd probably say in the preseason poll, it's going to be Richmond 1 and St. Louis 2. Mm. Austin, do you think that Richmond's starting five looks exactly the same next year? That's another good question. Um, we've talked about before on on here about how him and – not him, we don't know who we're talking about – about KO and Burton and how there's been moments where it seems like maybe Burton deserves a start every, every now and then. But um, depending on the work that Burton puts in this summer, and especially if Ko can continue um, at the rate he's been playing lately, it's gonna make, it's gonna give Mooney a tough decision to see who to start down there because I feel like if Tyler Burton um, gets more comfortable, like he's shown glimpses of so far this season, he is more than capable of starting on this um, senior team next year. But Nathan Ko, how he's been playing as of late, he. I think that kind of quieted at least my portion of those talks for now. Mm. Yeah, I think one thing that we kind of overlook with Nate very often is we think about, like, you know, we're always thinking about who's going to be the next guy. It's like, it's Tyler, right? Is he going to get consistent? Is he going to stop fouling as much? Going to be able to give you those consistent minutes? But And, like, is he going to improve, you know, shot off the dribble and things like that, his offensive awareness? But I think Nate's a guy, like, just because he's going to be a senior, he's not locked into who he is. Like, we saw him last year go from a sub-60% free throw shooter to their top free throw shooter on the team or one of the top free throw shooters on the team he's just hovering around 80 percent so if he's been able to make that jump with the free throw from year two to year three and we've seen him you know now like you know he's not stepping out and spreading the floor but there are a couple times now where he'll take you know a a 15 foot jumper when he wouldn't have taken it last year and you can still see the hitch in his jumper i don't expect him to go out and start shooting threes for them all the time next year but i could totally see him taking this summer and becoming a guy that can you know, it's kind of like what Aaron Baines did late in his career with the Celtics. You know, Aaron Baines now just the other night hit nine three-pointers in a game for the Suns. Before he came to the Celtics, I think he had less than three career three-point makes. And he did that at, you know, age 30-plus season in his career. 
So I don't see why any reason why Nate as a senior next year can't, you know, go sit in the corner and start shooting threes. And if they do that, they're going to be really dangerous next year. Oh, no, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. That's it from me. Unless, Austin, you got any more questions? No, man, just looking forward to Brooklyn. Yeah, can't wait to see you out there in the Barclays. Um, so I guess last running off, give me your picks. Final, who's going to be in the championship on Sunday? Man, it's tough to say this because in general we get a lot of chaos at the A10 tournament, but I'm not picking against my Flyers, that's for sure. Mm. I'm not going all the way out to Brooklyn to, to watch them lose. So <laughs> got to pick them from that side of the bracket. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to just pick chalk, but I really do like Richmond's chances to advance to the finals also because I they I think they can beat Davidson if that's their first round game. And then, you know, whether they play Duquesne or Rhode Island, I feel like those are also games the Spiders can win. So I'll say we mm-hmm. get one versus two. Sorry, I got to pick Dayton over Richmond there, mm-hmm. but it should just be a really fun tournament, hoping for a lot of close games. And you never know. I mean, this is always one of the best weeks of the year, so mm-hmm. just can't wait for it. Yep, looking forward to it. Also, public uh, disclaimer, public safety alert to everyone. I got intel from New York that the city of New York does not have hand sanitizer. So if you are trying to not get coronavirus, bring your Purell to Brooklyn next week. All right. Wow, yeah, I actually, I heard the from somebody that you could buy it. Maybe it's all out of stock now, but apparently it was going for like 80 bucks a bottle. People are probably like selling it, I bet. Yeah, yeah. so that's kind of ridiculous. So yeah, stay yeah, safe, everybody. Bring your masks, bring your Purell, and please cough in your elbows, and uh, we'll see you all there. Thank you. Yeah, and man. also forearm bumps. Don't remember, don't forearm. forget that. <laughs> forearm. No, no handshakes. In I'm very excited. The, the first, if I go to those Thursday games, the first thing going up on my Twitter is going to be a video of some post game forearm bumps. Yeah, and I will, I will be also players watch out because I will be reporting to you, reporting you to the conference if I see any handshakes. <laughs> yeah, good for the the Atlantic Ten looking out for all of us. Yes, gotta, sir. Gotta Safe, appreciate that. Safety first, baby. <laughs> all right my man we will see you uh there this week all right sounds good thanks guys appreciate it matt what's up guys welcome to episode seven of the spider scoop podcast i'm your host noah goldberg with espn richmond and i'm joined by my co-host he is a struggling charlotte hornets fan but more importantly he writes about the spiders for a 10 talk and that's Austin Daisy. Austin, what is going on, my man? Nothing much, man. Hard to believe that the regular season is over and mm-hmm. Brooklyn inbound coming up. Yeah, this this year really flew by, didn't it? Yeah, that was crazy. Um, so we just had it's Sunday, about you know, almost one in the afternoon. Uh, we had the Duquesne game. Spiders beat Duquesne uh, by eleven on Friday. Um, then most of the games were on Saturday. So all the A-10 season is wrapped up. We've had the Friday games. We've had the Saturday games. We know the seeding. Spiders number two seed for the first time ever in the A-10. Um, do you think that this is the best Richmond team? If you just looked at the regular season, because obviously, you know, they went to the Sweet 16 in 2011. But just when you look at the talent and things, like, could this be the best Richmond team that they've had since joining the A-10? Or do you think that it's more been a coincidence of... So the way the league's gone, kind of some teams faltering, and you end up with 14 conference wins. Um, I think it could be a mix of both, but this has definitely been the most fun I've yeah. had watching a Richmond team in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, just watching these guys on the court night in and night out. they You can just tell that the chemistry on this team is fantastic, and mm-hmm. it really, really shows, um, especially with the experience, with having having five starters being juniors. It mm-hmm. It really does show. Um, I've never really seen it show quite like this with any other team. Um, I follow Virginia. Virginia is getting to the point now where we're losing guys after sophomore, junior year. So mm-hmm. it's refreshing to see a group play until they're seniors. But no, yeah. this has been the most fun team I've watched um, from Richmond in a long time. And mm-hmm. no, and with how the jump that the league kind of made with Dayton becoming elite, the A-10 is becoming more of a household um, mid-major name. So mm-hmm. hopefully in years to come, um, the conference is only going to get better. And with that, Richmond's only going to get better. Yeah. I don't know if I'm re- – like I, you said, I don't know if I'm ready to say yet that this is like one of the better – like 
best Richmond teams that they've had since mm-hmm. 2010. I certainly think they're one of the most talented. I think that the thing that I was kind of wavering back to was this is the most talented team, but it always felt like a very coincidental team. It's like, okay, yeah, they can shoot at home. When they go on the road, maybe they get lucky and the other team doesn't hit shots because they often don't hit shots on the road. They can't, you know, yeah. they hadn't, like we said, that stat where they were, I don't. I think they've won a game since, but they were like 0 for 4, 0 for 5 when they were trailing with five minutes left. So it was a team that was basically blowing teams out or losing close games. And I think they've kind of answered that a little bit. I think that Duquesne game, that was pretty back and forth where they pretty much felt in control, especially throughout most of the second half. But, you know, that game was within five points, you know, midway late in the second half. And then they just really ran away with it over that last, you know, six or seven minutes, whatever it was. And that's a big, you know, that's a tough team too. You know, obviously Hughes and Weathers are just great defensive players, good rebounders. Michael Hughes is probably one of the best shot blockers in the entire conference. So I think to see them go on the road like that in your last regular season game and, you know, a game that was pretty much a toss-up, I think that's a big statement from them because, you know, like I said, they were super talented, but it's can they do it in a variety of ways under a variety of conditions when not everything's going your way. And they went in there and they basically said, we're going to make everything go our way. They hit shots. Nick played well. Um, and they pretty much just answered, I think, any real doubts I had about whether this is an actual dangerous team or whether this is kind of a fake 14-win team. I, I think it's a pretty real 14-win team. Oh, no, 100%. Um, mm. Especially the last two games we've had, um, you know, having a battle with Davidson was, I think, a really good thing for this team, especially when we look at the game on Friday where it was another tough road game and we finally broke the um, broke the curse of not shooting well outside the Robin Center and it couldn't have happened at a better time. And... Mm. It just feels like everything's kind of starting to fall into place and mm-hmm. everybody's picking up their game, you know, as we head into the conference tournament. And as a fan or anybody associated with the team, you can't hope for anything better than that. So I'm really excited for a fun week in Brooklyn. Yeah, me too. Um, so when we look at this game, um, they didn't go super deep in their bench. I mean, Tyler really didn't play that much, four minutes. Um, Andre had a big one. He had 20. Matt had nine minutes once again we don't have to re-harp on that um so you know i kind of we touched a little bit on the last pod um about you know are the is the rotation going to get cut and you know as it often does in the playoffs is the rotation going to get cut in these tournaments um where do you where do you see this rotation going now that we've seen everything wrap up we've seen all the teams play we've seen this duquesne game um do you see you know maybe guys like sal and matt pretty much just getting chopped off the rotation at this point with even Woj getting pretty limited minutes or do you think he's going to kind of stick to what it's been where it's really just situational and depends on the flow of the game? No, I feel like, especially at this point of the year, we've won 24 games. It's time to stick to your guns. Mm-hmm. You don't want to change um, anything too drastically. But looking at yeah. the stat sheet, I can't help but laugh. Looking, it's Sal's game. Played two minutes, picked up two fouls. That yeah. <laughs> just kind of speaks on Should we, should we speaks update on what his per 40 fouling is? Should we check on that since last one? Um I think we should, especially after that two and two right there. Let's look it up. College basketball <laughs> reference. This is really good radio oh, right here. Yes, it is. I mean, that dude can, dude can pick up some fouls and in a hurry. It's actually kind of impressive. I know. It's almost like he's trying to do it. <laughs> Don't tell Sal, guys. Um, all right, let's see here. Conference per four. Okay, conference per 40 minutes. Oh, he's up to 11.7 fouls per 40 minutes in conference, followed by close friend Matt Grace at 5.9. So there you go. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. so no, yeah, looking at that, that just jumped out at me. I had to bring that up. But, mm. no, yeah, Wojcik hasn't really been playing um, as much as he had, but Andre seems to be really um, getting more of that playing time. Like you said, he played 20 on Friday. But, yeah. no, I don't want to see a super – drastic change i would like to see tyler play a little bit more but Mm -hmm. if he's in there making um you know easy mistakes he played four minutes had two turnovers picked up two fouls so i mean it wasn't wasn't his best outing but yes like you said situationally um i feel like mooney's done a good job of rotating these guys in and out and Mm -hmm. hopefully he sticks to his guns and continues to do that yeah i agree um i think it, it has been interesting to kind of watch it fluctuate between andre and tyler in terms of like six man whether it's production or playing um I really think Andre has the ability to be, like, certainly not, I wouldn't say elite, but definitely one of, you know, as he's a junior and a senior in the next couple of years, one of the, you know, better finishers at the rim in this conference. I think he's certainly one of the most athletic players on this team. I think he's strong, Mm -hmm. too, fast. He's obviously bouncy. He can get up there. 
I really think the thing with him has always kind of been between the ears. I think that it's just been a confidence thing where you'll see him go up to the basket and he'll have a dunk and he just won't dunk the ball. He'll lay it up. Um, but I, I mean, three of six, he had seven points. Most of those were pretty much um, at the basket. He had seven rebounds, which was great to see. Um, but I, th- I think re- so Andre obviously driving has been a huge, if they can get anything out of him, because they really knock out consistent scoring off their bench. And I think you're going to need that in Brooklyn, especially at the end of the year as guys are getting tired, wear and tear injuries. Um, that's going to be huge. I looked at this game, though, and I mean, I don't know how we can talk about this game without mentioning that they out-rebounded Duquesne 50-39. to When was the last time you saw Richmond get 50 rebounds in a game? I, I couldn't tell you. Another thing about that, uh, points in the paint, we scored 40 in the yeah. paint as well and shot the ball well from deep, too. Mm-hmm. So this was like the perfect combination of Richmond basketball this season. They started the season shooting well. They went inside and then they kind of put the, put the two together um, in the last regular season game. So lots of reason to be excited. Yeah. And I think you certainly got help from Duquesne going, you know, anytime a team goes 10 of 25 from the free throw line, you're not going to expect that team to win. Um, But at the end of the day, they still dominated in the paint. They out rebounded them Um, 23 to 13 assisted turnover ratio. Um, That was, pretty dominant um so an efficient game across the board um i thought this was definitely one of nate's better games he had a double double um we had a couple double doubles nick had one you know grant kind of flirted with it but i mean man this team is just so improved from last year in terms of the physicality and you know as, as much as we've wanted to talk about cutting those rotations off when you look at the tournament you really can't do that because you know as as we've harped on it over and over again grant played 29 minutes in this one nate played 26 minutes in this one and especially down the stretch of the season here you can't be playing those guys over 30 minutes a game so you got to keep them fresh and we see that you know in turn how that's affected them on the defensive end um but at, as you said you know so you kind of mentioned the sticking to your guts thing with a rotation and i think sticking to your guts can kind of be applied in two different ways with this team Sticking to your guts can mean we're going to stick to our guns with our rotations. We're going to keep it the same. But it could also mean you want to stick to your guys because we'll see in those spots sometimes where maybe, you know, it's the last seven minutes and you don't make that extra sub because it's a two-point game and you don't want to see that swing. Um, would you put a number, a cap on whether it's Grant minutes or someone at 30 minutes? Or I, I almost feel like in these games, if, if it's getting close, like you can't afford to not play your best guys because especially we look at Mooney and like we're kind of in a honeymoon phase right now over this next week where second seed double by everything's going great but I'll tell you this if they lose in the quarterfinals to LaSalle or Duquesne Fire Mooney Mafia is going to come right up on out of the cracks (laughs) and I I think I I don't think everyone's going to kill them all about it because at the end of the day they still won 14 conference games and are probably going to be picked as the favorite next year but you know as great as this season's been and we're all kind of in dreamland right now there are still their most important games of the year are still yet to be played. Oh no, I agree completely. Uh, touch on the Fire Money Mafia. I'm sure they have some tweets already queued up and ready to roll. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, like you said about um, sticking to your guns, that was a really good point because obviously, if you know, like you said, if there's a cap on Grant at 30, it's a two point game late. Mm-hmm. You have to keep him out there. It's it's do or die. Yep. We're playing for play for the NCAA tournament. We we don't want the NIT. We we want the want to dance. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think hopefully Mooney knows and will adapt to that. We haven't really had many necessarily do or die games throughout the regular season. Not many mm-hmm. teams do, but down the stretch, they've been. We have to win, or we're not going dancing unless we win in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And now it's come down to Brooklyn. So now there's no more time to really worry about how many minutes a guy's playing. If he needs to be in the game, he needs to be in the game. Mm-hmm. So we look at Jacob Gillard in this one. We've kind of talked a little bit about how, you know, scoring numbers have certainly dropped off, particularly over the last, you know, five, ten games or so. Um, and against Duquesne, he had five points, two of eight from the field. And this was one where we obviously were all, you know, it still felt, it was another one where he just, he puts up five points and you still feel like he has a great game. Has 10 assists. What do you have? Five or how many steals do you have in this one? Yeah, at least five or six. Six, six yeah, steals six. in this game. Also, Dr. John Giannini on one of the A10 broadcasts the other night put up his all defensive team. Like they put up a little graphic and he talked about it. He left Fats Russell and Jacob Gilliard off of his all team defense for the A10. Does that That's just make no look. sense? Am I crazy? No, that's not a good look at all. Yeah, two of the top stealing leaders in the entire country. So I'm not really sure what that was about. Um, but, yeah, man, he's the, the way he affects the game, you know, we've talked about it over and over. But 
Um, his, just some of the dimes he had, some of the passes he had in this game were really ridiculous. Um, but that being said, you know, he is a guy that can score in bunches, and we've seen him do it. And when he's done it, they've been a really, really dominant team. So, sure, five points is great when you're getting 21 out of Blake, 13 out of Nick, 13 out of Grant, 11 out of Nate, whatever. Um, but, you know, we've seen Nate disappear in games before. We've certainly seen Nick disappear. You know, we've seen Blake get super, super inefficient. He wasn't particularly efficient in this one either. Um, no. Does Jacob need to be a scorer for them to succeed in this tournament? Uh, yes and no, because it's almost seemed like each game this season – if Gilliard hasn't scored a lot of points, Francis will score 20-plus and mm-hmm. kind of vice versa. But, no, um, I don't want Gilliard to abandon his game as of late because, like mm-hmm. you said, he's scored five points, but 10 assists and six steals, that's a huge night. So mm-hmm. it's almost more of a how is the game going, and I still really yeah. like that Sherrod quote after the uh, Davidson game, how they – they had the awareness to not just jack up threes. They were kind of feeling the game out, and I feel like that's what they've been doing lately. Yeah. And I just hope that's something that they stick to. I don't want Gilliard to get in his own head and start thinking he's got to light it up from deep because if yeah. he's if he's given us six steals and ten assists, he he's had a great night. Yeah, yeah, 100%. No, I mean, he was one of four from deep in this game, and it's kind of a weird game, too, where they finished um, with a five of – uh, what was it? Seven of twenty-three. Seven of twenty-three. One, but, yeah. You know, five of thirteen in the second half. So it kind of, you know, like they said, it's about letting it come to them. I think you made a great point with that Davidson game where where they like zero for four or something in the first half, and then they just took away mm-hmm. in the second. And you know, as Nick said, they didn't go into the end of that first half feeling like it was out of control. It wasn't their game. They felt like they were playing well, and they just gave up some early points, let it come to them. But I agree. I think when they lose, it's when they're playing out of their element, when they play out of their game. Um, you know, this certainly wasn't their traditional game in terms of the way they rebounded and things like that. They got some free throw line help, but like you said, I think the maturity of this team is really coming together. We're starting to see the age, the maturity, um, just the way they're letting it come to them, taking care of the ball. Um, obviously Blake had that late three pointer, um, with a lot of time on the shot clock, but I still felt like we didn't get too many frustrating shots early in the shot clock. There were certainly a couple where I looked at it, but for the most part, we kept the the Blake three-pointers with 22 seconds left to a minimum. Um, that's certainly something they're going to need to do in Brooklyn, um, especially when, you know, they've, they've had a history of not shooting particularly well there. Um, so looking at this bracket now, they're going to face Davidson or LaSalle, um, then potentially Rhode Island, most likely, I would say, and then potentially Dayton. So they kind of, I feel like they kind of dodged a bullet getting both the Bonavent, both the Bonnies and the Billikins in the other bracket. How do you think that the way this bracket shaped out, you know, bodes for the Spiders and their chances? Oh no, I'm not gonna lie. When I first looked at the bracket, I almost had kind of an exhale just mm-hmm. looking at it and knowing we've already beat Rhode Island in Rhode Island before. You know, it seemed like Rhode Island kind of had it all together, but um, no, to not have to face Dayton, St. Louis. Uh, St. Bonaventure until the potential final or VCU. Yeah. All teams that have beat us um, this season. So no, it's really, really like our draw. And I can safely say I will be disappointed if this team doesn't find their way into the finals on Sunday. Not something I thought I would have said a couple weeks ago, but looking at it now there, there's no reason for them not to. Yeah, I feel and I feel really good about playing Rhode Island again, especially on a neutral mm-hmm. site because Cyril Langevinish has not been the guy that we thought he was going to be this year. Fat, I, I feel like Fats Russell is in a different way, but at the same time, kind of like Nick Sherrod in terms of that on or off switch they both had in completely different ways, completely different roles, completely different mm-hmm. players. But there just seem like there are these games where both of them will be on or off. And with with Nick, obviously, it's the shooting and the energy and with fats it's like he's gonna play the way he plays regardless and he can't like draw back like when gilly's missing shots and stuff for the most part we'll see him back up and just kind of distribute be a playmaker and do his thing on the defensive end get other guys shots fats is just going to attack you and attack you and attack you and if he goes two of 15 from the field he doesn't really seem like he cares um so i think you know that's a guy and you know you look at defensively what this team did we've talked about um, obviously Kellen and Jag had decent games, but they still, you know, limited the damage. They've shut down Bones Highland. You know, they shut down good guards in this league before. If you throw Blake and Gilly at Fats and basically just, I, I think, I think if they face Rhode Island, it's basically make Jeff Doubt and beat us. Lock down Fats, make him take up a bunch or take a bunch of ridiculous shots because 
If you double team him, he's still going to try to score that double team. He does not care. So go at Fats. You know, I think Grant and committee did a pretty good job on Cyril last time. Um, Nate's going to be in there. He's been playing well defensively. Obviously, you can get Tyler in as a defensive sub. I think the key to beating Rhode Island is just to make Jeff Dowden beat you. Oh, I agree completely. And I also, you uh, brought up KO. I still think his best game of the year was early January up in Rhode Island. He just played out of his mind. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, I can't say, obviously – there's concern as the tournament, anything can happen, but I couldn't be more comfortable with our draw. Cause obviously we're going to have to beat good teams to get there, but I like the group that we could potentially be playing heading into Sunday. Yeah, definitely. Um, so do you think, I don't, I don't want to rehash it too much. Cause we get into this with Matt a little bit. Um, what's your confidence level right now getting into March madness? Man, I might, I don't know if it's a little too high, <laughs> but I mean, it's really, really high right now. Um, I still feel like this team, there is no reason for them not to be in the tournament, especially mm-hmm. if they at least make it to Saturday. If yeah. they lose Friday, there could be some room for doubt, as we know they've been sitting on that bubble for quite some time. But mm-hmm. a win on Friday would put us at 25 wins. And if these net rankings are worth anything, mm-hmm. you know, as we're sitting 37th right now, yeah. I guess we'll find out selection Sunday if we don't end up um, winning the whole thing. So yeah. now confidence level is really high. I'd, I'm, I think I'm down a little bit from you. Not that I don't think they're worthy. I think I'm just, I just really think the, this committee and, you know, obviously, you know, Joe Lenardi's not the guy that's picking these teams. You know, he's just predicting. Mm-hmm. But these these committees and things, they do really value these power conference teams and the, the strength of schedules and the conference schedules that they play. Um, and I just look at, you know, like Indiana obviously just lost to Wisconsin and they're still ahead of Richmond. I believe they're still in the last four in. I just yeah. don't understand it. They beat, you know, the Spiders have that win over Wisconsin on a neutral site, who is yeah, the, best the best team, team in the, the Big best Ten. Conference. Like, yeah. and then they just beat Indiana. So, what is your re- and Indiana lost to Wisconsin on their home court? So, you know, Spiders yeah. beat them on a neutral court. So, it really makes no sense to me. Um, that's that's the only thing is it's just you know how much do they value us, which is why I really feel like they need to win the semifinal. I think they need to get to the championship. I'm not saying they won't yeah. get in the tournament if they lose on Saturday, but I think if you want to, you know, really secure yourself in there, because we just saw Utah State pick up a big win. Texas is probably, you know, they're right on the border right now. Um, so it's going to be really, really close, but I'm I'm certainly nervous about the way they value these, these power conference teams. And, yeah, I think you make a really yeah. good point with the net rankings. I mean, I just look up real quick. I think I tweeted out the other day that I don't understand why people are so bullish on UCLA and, quite honestly, the entire Pac-12, um, just getting away from the Big Ten. UCLA is number 75 in the net rankings. What do you say the Spiders are? 37? 37. So that's almost 40 spots ahead. So if you make a great point, what are we doing with the net rankings? If that you've said you've made the system that this is supposed to be not the only factor, but the primary and most important factor you look at UCLA five and five on the road, zero and three neutral. So they're five and eight outside of their home arena. When you look at Richmond, um, what are they? Eight and three. They're nine and three on the road, one and two neutral site. So combined, they're ten and five away from the Robin Center, and then forty, almost forty spots ahead of UCLA. And UCLA isn't re- even really a bubble team. They're pretty much like the first four buys the last four buys so mm-hmm. no one's really even doubting them so i agree i don't really understand what the point of the system is if you're going to do that um that's just me i mean even kempom's got them 46 so i don't know if i'm the committee i don't know what we're doing but that's that's yeah. again why i feel like they at least have to get to the championship and mm-hmm. and part of that too is to other teams falling off we've seen rhode island take a dip so you know just beating rhode island or if you lose to rhode island you know how much is the committee going to value that because losing to rhode island no longer looks like a loss yeah. to a really competitive, solid tournament team. Rhode Island's now, you know, they've kind of even fallen off the bubble. Um, but what do, you, what do you think about the way the conference has gone and kind of affected at-large chances? Because it just seems like it's just so many teams where you look at VCU, whether you want to look at Davidson from the start of the year, but it just really felt like going into conference play, this was a really strong league. And it really is, I feel like, stronger than it was last year. But even with that being said, there's a very realistic chance there's one bid coming out of this league. Yeah, no, I mean, it, like you said, the beginning of the year, I mean, we had a real, the whole conference had a really good non-conference um, result. And if you look, I'm looking at just a list of teams right now, and it looks like just looking at each of them, besides Dayton and Richmond, each of them have kind of performed lower than expectations. Mm-hmm. 
Um, especially look at a team like Duquesne, who had such a good um, non-conference. Yeah. But again, we've talked about how they didn't have the best strength of schedule, but mm-hmm. still, they were they were impressive, and they're now the sixth seed. So yeah. that kind of came back to hurt them a little bit, um, especially VCU. I mean, they just completely yeah. dropped off. And but now, besides Richmond and Dayton, I really feel like those are the only two that exceeded expectations because yeah. I expected Rhode Island to be better. I expected St. Louis to be better. Obviously expected Davidson to be better. So mm-hmm. no, I mean, and that George really Mason. does. Yeah. And George Mason for sure. And just looking at, looking at it from that standpoint, try not to be um, too upset about it. If I'm from the outside and don't watch the A-10 and mm-hmm. I just look at conference records alone, I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That very well could be, a one bid league, but just with how good Richmond is, it would just, mm. I would really, really hate to see them get um, jobbed of not making the tournament. Yeah. I think St. Louis is interesting. I feel like we're kind of higher on them now just because they've kind of been on the come up, they're stuck in the double buy. But then you look back at this beginning of the season expectations, they're in the March Madness last year. So the only reason we probably feel good about them is that they lo- probably lowered our expectations at the beginning of the year, the way they played and have kind of yeah. heated up. Um, which certainly, it, you know, it certainly doesn't help Richmond that the only team that's starting to bolster their resume late in the season is the one team that's beaten us. Um, so, you know, you'd like to get those worst URI look like a great win. Yeah. It still is a quad one win, but, you know, that's starting to go down a little bit. Um, so I want to do some superlatives. It is the end of the regular season. Um, wrapping it up, give out some awards. A10 Media Awards are coming out soon, so we might as well follow the trend. Um, so first up, we look at this team, we've talked about the depth over and over again. Obviously not the most, you know, productive bench in terms of scoring, but they've given great value. And I think just compared to last year, you're getting serviceable minutes out there where you don't feel like you're always treading water, but you can even gain ground even with some roll guys in. So I want to ask you, who's your sixth man of the year on this team? Uh, yeah, no, this was tough. We we talked about it for a little bit, but I picked Burton just based on the fact that mm-hmm. the kid's a freshman and I mean, he's just getting so much experience, especially at the beginning of the year, how much he played. Yep. He's gained so much experience to play this much as a freshman and his athleticism is as good as anybody in this conference. So watching him play, he, obviously he's still making some, some rookie mistakes, but I mean, that's expected from a freshman anywhere. So mm-hmm. no, I think he's been one of the most valuable guys coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily lighting up the scoreboard, but this his defense has been fantastic, and his athleticism and length has really, really helped Richmond. Yeah. And it was a tough decision, and the one you're about to pick was mine. So who did you have for your sixth man of the year? So obviously, cause, you know, I don't want to pick Tyler as well. I would go Andre. Um, I think that it's interesting. I do, I do like Tyler a lot in this spot just because of I think that he brings a lot to their weak spots, which would be def- defense and rebounding. But, you know, Andre – does that as well um the the one weakness in terms of you know this team has obviously been incredible defensively this year they've made a great improvement blake and gilly have just been all over the ball they've been great but the what they have in quickness you know they kind of lack in length um out in the perimeter because you go guards obviously blake is six feet gilly's five nine i'm pretty sure that i would have to assume those numbers are probably inflated too i doubt either of them are as tall as listed (laughs) um you know gilly gets a little bump with a haircut but um whereas Andre you know he goes out there he's 6'4 and you know it doesn't work out great in certain matchups like I think against like Bones Highland obviously you want to go with the quickness but I think that he's just been a really great defender for them off the bench and I think that in moments we've seen him be able to provide consistent scoring um he does a good job of not fouling that well I think he just you know having the experience of last year of you know starting for basically the majority of the back half of that season I think has been really big for them. And I think it's going to be really big going into this conference tournament too, because, you know, I think it's kind of been back and forth in terms of who's played more minutes in a given game, him or Tyler. And like we've said, it's kind of gone based on the flow of the game and the matchups, but against Duquesne in their biggest game of the regular season on the road against a much bigger physical, a physical team that can rebound and block shots. You look at that matchup and you probably think, you know, that's a game Tyler's going to get in, but Nate plays really well, holds his ground. Tyler actually goes out and fouls. Andre plays 20 minutes in that game and scores seven points. So yeah, Tyler's averaging more points. Um, but, but I think Andre gives you that consistency factor. And I think that leadership and just the way he can run the offense, Tyler might put up the bigger numbers and might have the flashier plays, but I think who's the guy you want in there in the end of the game against, you know, in a tournament game. And I kind of feel like that's Andre. I feel like you just have to feel better about it. 
Um, I also look at another thing, too. I feel like his shooting is somewhat improved. Obviously, he's not like a three-point guy, but, you know, he's 80% at the free throw line, so he can go out there and hit free throws for you, um, which is big because he's a guy who draws contact a lot, um, you know, cutting to the hoop. So that's that's my sixth man of the year. But I think I think particularly that's influenced by the fact that I think he's going to be bigger in big, high-pressure uh, games. So that that would be my pick. Um, next, yeah, no, up, next up, we got most improved. Uh, player from last year so I think there's a lot of candidates for this one yeah now this one was tough but looking at um, games as of late I went with Nathan KO mm-hmm. just because he's a guy who I mean he, he had some games at the beginning of conference play besides Rhode Island where he was I mean almost just a non-factor out there he would pick mm-hmm. up fouls early he'd have to go to the bench um, but no when he's on I mean he's a double-double machine he yep. picked up one on Friday he um, he's somebody we really, really need to continue this type of play um, starting on Friday. And it, it, that, this is probably the toughest one to pick because I looked, um, looked down the roster and everybody on here has had their moments. They've had their lows. But yeah. out of all of them, I chose KO just because I feel like he's kind of been the lowest but also been higher than most. So. No, if he can if he can continue his play as he has um, these past couple games, I really like our chances um, yeah. coming up. What about you? So mine, I, I'd say it might surprise people. I don't know. Actually, it might not. Um, my pick is Grant Golden, and strictly mm-hmm. because of the defensive just, I mean, I don't even have to say it. His, his defensive rating in conference play last year was 108. This year, it's, what is it? This year, he's cut his defensive rating to 92.6. So, obviously, there's a lot of factors in that in terms of, you know, as he said, you know, being able to play less minutes this year has given him a lot more energy. So, but, you know, he did lose about 15, 20 pounds in the offseason, which obviously is going to help him not suck wind. So, that's been big for him. Um, Obviously, he's been an incredible passer like he was last year. Um, But he's really taking care of the ball. And I just think that... Everything starts, all their issues from last year, whether it was rebounding, defense, it all started on the interior. When you're giving up offensive rebounds, now you're giving up more points, now your defensive rating shoots up. So I think it all really starts with him and the way it's flowed. Um, I think he, it's just been astronomical. And, I mean, they're first, they're the number one most efficient defense in the entire conference. So for me, that everything starts with Grant there. So I would have to give it to him. Um, but I really, I really like Nate's pick too because um, I think – you know he's a guy that we've all said noticeably has improved even though his scoring numbers have dipped um obviously his free throw shooting's gone up he's been a better rebounder um, i actually wrote a little bit about earlier in the before the season i think nate becoming a better rebounder was going to be the key to unlocking this team um so he's you know obviously had a double double in that last one um in conference he's grabbing about 19 percent defensive rebounding rate uh let me see what he had last last year it was 11 so that's gone up by seven percent so that's been a huge shift. So I really think both of those guys, but I think whether you want to pick Grant, whether you want to pick Nate for rebounding or defensive reasons, I think the overall improvement when this team is pretty obvious that it's come at the glass and it's come at the interior, and that's unlocked everything else for them. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so next up, we've actually talked about this one a lot too, but who is your X factor for this team, particularly in the postseason? Um, for me, this one, uh, this was a, kind of a quick one for me. I went with yep. Nick Sherrod. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's somebody that, like you've said, I love how you described, he's got an on or off switch, and there is no in-between. There are two settings with him. Mm-hmm. It's on or it's off. And if he can play like he did on Friday at Duquesne, I mean, I, I, would, I could say I will be shocked if this team's not playing on Sunday. I mm-hmm. mean, if, when he is shooting well, especially outside of the Robinson, which we're not used to, the team, it almost just seems they feed off of that. And yeah. when he's having a good game, everybody's having a good game. So he was very easily my X factor um, of the year and heading into the postseason. Yeah. So I think for me, um, my X, I mean, yeah. So Nick, obviously, I totally agree. You know, we read that stat. Um, it will be coming up in the next part of the pod with Matt um, about his shooting and losses versus shooting and wins. Nick's obviously been huge for them. Um, but my X factor, I'm going to go with Nate. I think that, again, like I said, it kind of all starts with the interior. And when mm-hmm. they got that quad one win in at Rhode Island, and I know it doesn't look as great now as it did back then, but that's still a really tough win against a bigger physical team. 
And I just look at the way him and Grant were able to play on the defensive end against Langevin. And Nate had, I think he had over 20 points in that game. I think he was close to or had a double-double on that one. Um, So I think they're X-factors in different ways in terms of that when Nate's not playing well, you can kind of swap him out with Tyler or kind of go by committee with Sal and Matt. Whereas I think when Nick's not shooting, it's pretty devastating to them. But I think when Nate's on at the same time, he just provides them a whole different spark and energy in the way he can honestly, like he can sit in that dunker spot with Grant and it's almost like doing it with a point guard on the pick and roll, except you've got Grant Golden who mm-hmm. can pass like a point guard. So I think the the way he's yeah. able to produce down there has been absolutely huge for them. And we saw it against Duquesne. He had a double double against Duquesne. Um so I so Nate I'm going with Nate for my X Factor. Um so next one, we're getting into some fun ones now most likely to start a beef with an opposing player i think i i think i know who you're gonna say but there's t- i got two guys in mind it, it took me a minute on this one um but i actually went with grant really I take not grant. who i was expecting i did but um who, who were you expecting me to say I, I was thinking like blake or gilly you know th- those were the first two that popped yeah. in my head but when grant's playing with that attitude and confidence mm-hmm. you know flexing on people going down the court the long hair too. i wouldn't consider it yeah, I wouldn't consider it a beef where he's actually going to do something about it because yeah. I just kind of consider him being like a, just a jolly giant. But yeah. uh, non, I'm trying to think of the word, the best, he'll start beef, but nothing's going to come of it. It's almost yeah. in just a complete basketball way, like mm-hmm. nothing personal. Just gets but chippy no, in the game. I, yeah, he, he can definitely cause some chippiness. So that's why I chose him as yeah. my most likely to cause beef on the court. So for me, immediately the first thing I thought of was Blake because I just think he plays, obviously he's talked about the chip on his shoulder. Um, I think he plays more emotional than anyone else on the court. But then I kind of sat back and I thought about it and that's his motor. He plays with high energy and he gets chippy, but you don't see him like he's a pretty like outside and off the court. He's a really, really laid back guy. He's not like a high energy guy. He's very chill and relaxed. And you'd like, you watch a game and you see him get energy, but you don't see him really jawn with other guys. Um, yeah. I think that's more of a Gilly thing because I, I I can see Gilly getting yeah. back. You'll see him like, I, I don't remember who it was, but there was a game where he had a three and he was just like running back half court late in the game, was just talking shit with one of the other guys <laughs> up and down the court. And, you know, he's also, you know, he's the pesky, he's the little guy. He's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, uh-huh. like Isaiah Thomas was in the Celtics. Like everyone, you know, because when you have to play with a chip on your shoulder like that when you're at that size and then when you're doing well, you know, what guy wants to – get the ball stolen from him by a dude who's basically my height. Um, so obviously you're going to get into it. So I, I, I could definitely <laughs> see it being Gilly um, for sure. So kind of rolling off that best shoe game on the team. Yeah, there's really only two choices here. Yeah. Um, we should have had uh, John come on. I know. I was just so. thinking that. He's a big fan of the shoes. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I went with Gilly. Uh, I'm not really a flashy shoe guy. Okay. But he's had some shoes this year. I'm like, okay, like those look cool. I, I will say I know nothing about basketball shoes. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what color they are. I can tell you if they're <laughs> Nikes. I couldn't tell you what in the world they are. Uh-huh. But just based off of looks, I think he's had he's had some some different ones. But consistently, I think yeah. he's had some of the coolest shoes out there. Yeah. On the court, definitely going to be Gilliard for me, um, for sure. Obviously, like the SpongeBob's were great. I think of the Patrick Stars on. Um, but actually sneaky, a little, little bit of a sleeper here, tougher to know if you're not around the team, but shout out Connor Crabtree transfer sitting out right now. I see you, you be, he, this kid's literally getting like a new pair of shoes, like three times a week. I, I see, I see you with the off whites, Connor. Um, those are great. Um, but yeah, so I, I would go with Connor for those. So that pretty much wraps it up, um, for me. So we're looking at, we got Brooklyn. They're not playing until Friday. Sunday, we got nice five, six days off. I'm out here in Florida soaking in the sun before I have to go to work. Um, what you got coming up this week? How are we feeling about Brooklyn travel? Anything issues? Kids are behaving well. Yeah, no, so far so good. It's Sunday. Uh, the time change will for sure throw yep. everything off tomorrow. But um, no, actually, bumped the flight back a day. Didn't mm-hmm. want to, you know, stay too close to the coronavirus more than yep. I had to with Richmond not playing until until six but no i'm looking forward to it and like uh like we were talking about earlier a little heads up make sure you bring some hand sanitizer yep hand sanitizer masks baby um austin thank you for coming on for doing this um i'll be just <laughs> talking with you again in about an hour um make sure you guys go check out the sb unfurled and friends podcast two of us are hopping on there in a little bit 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty much from it. Us, pretty much it from us. We got Friday Richmond double buy for the first time since 2016-17. First time as a top two seed in the A10 ever. I'm excited, man. I'm ready. Yeah, Bart Scott voice. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. All right, thank you guys for listening. We uh, hopefully we'll get to see some of y'all out in the Barclays. Catch up. Titties. 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 Titties.